We are in the book of Mark, if you have your Bibles. And I do, I'm so grateful for you as a church family. We love you guys so much. We really do. Our best friends. We have a, we have a, few, we have a few good friends outside of our church. But our local friends, they're right here, man. We love, we love this church, and we love these people. Um, we are in week 36 of the book of Mark. That's what we do, all right? We preach through books of the Bible, and we are preaching through the book of Mark, and it's been a journey, all right? We've been on this dirt road with Jesus for 36 weeks plus, and so we are in chapter 11 today. If you do have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. We will not be in the text here for a second, but if you would like to go ahead and get to Mark chapter 11, you can do that. If you remember last week, and I just want to set the the table a little bit for today's sermon. Last Sunday, we spoke about Jesus um, speaking to the fig tree and cursing the fig tree. And then the second thing that he did was he walked into the temple and he overturned the tables and he kicked out the money changers. And we spoke last week about Jesus being confrontational and confronting uh, those situations. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't just by accident that he confronted those. It was on purpose. He confronted the fig tree because the fig tree was projecting itself to be a fruitful tree and it was not and he confronted it and it scripture says that he said it so that his disciples could hear and then he walks into a temple a church that was projecting itself to be a place of hope and a place of healing and a place of salvation and he walks in and as he had seen the previous night when he had kind of scoped it out it had turned into a money-changing scam they were charging Upwards of 15 times the amount, the going rate for an animal for Passover. Uh, they were, uh, you had to pay in, in, in uh, the Jewish currency, and they were charging uh, crazy rates to change the money from foreign currency to Jewish currency, and it had turned into a racketeering scheme. And so they were projecting themselves to be a place of worship, and they were not. And so Jesus confronts. He confronts. Jesus taught them the lesson of how to be authentic and how not to be one of those that project one thing and live another thing. And he spoke about having a foundational faith and about having deep forgiveness. That's how we closed out last week. How can we be more authentic in our faith as we can, we can take steps of faith and then we can learn how to forgive. There's some pretty strong language in the previous verses in Mark chapter 11. And we even mentioned the fact that if, if we don't understand forgiveness then we really don't understand the gospel. That's, that's a strong statement to be made, but it is the truth. And so we saw Jesus confronting people and institutions that were not operating in full authenticity. Uh, we spoke about Jesus' conf confrontation not being reactive, but being very calculated. He didn't walk into the temple surprised at what he saw and lose his temper he the night before had walked through the temple he knew what was taking place in the temple his reaction was very calculated and we spoke about that just a little bit but in today's text he's going to arrive again at the temple this is the same temple where he just ran the people out and just overturned the tables and just caused a big ruckus the day before uh, you can imagine that things are quite tense literally 24 hours before jesus had come in and gone uh, and, and, and pretty much uh, turned the place upside down on its head. He condemned the religious leaders and made sure they heard him as he confronted them and their 
struggled to be authentic. He called them out publicly. And as you can imagine, this return to the temple the next day is going to be somewhat interesting. And in broader context, we understand we're in the last week of Jesus' life. He's come in his triumphal entry. He is now in the temple. This is in the last few days of his life. As he walks into the temple here, he's going to be met with a group by a group of religious leaders, chief priests, scribes, and elders. And for context here, these were more than likely um, the men that made up what was called the, the Sanhedrin. They were kind of a, a ruling body and, and a, a council that was ordained by the church to deal with like legal matters and religious matters. And as you can imagine, these men are probably not going to be happy. Jesus came in and messed up the temple yesterday. Jesus is uh, already, he's been claimed to be God and he's done all these miracles and they're not sure what to think, but they definitely weren't happy. And so we're going to pick up today's text with all that in mind. Okay, everybody kind of got the context of where we're sitting. Jesus returning to the temple the day after he turned everything over in there and kicked people out. He's returning again. Verse 27 of Mark chapter 11 is where we are. If you have your Bibles, great. If not, the verses will be on the screen for you. Verse 27, and they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief, by the way, what kind of, what a power move. Like Jesus for like his entire life has been like, don't tell anybody, like shh, shh, shh. And like he walks in, he comes in on the tri- with the triumphal entry on the, on the donkey. Now he walks back into the temple. Like kind of, this is, this is a little bit different. We can tell that things are, the tide is turning a little bit. He was walking in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one question. Then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. All right, he says. Verse 31. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, then he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people. For all counted John, John the Baptist, to have been a prophet indeed. So they were in a, Jesus asked an incredible question. They don't know what to say. If they answer one way, this is the result. If they answer the other way, this is the result. Jesus has put them in a predicament. So they answered and said to Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. These men would lead from this day until the crucifixion day, just a couple of days later, they would lead an insurrection against Jesus. They would lead not only wanting to push him away, but to ultimately crucify him. These are the leaders that would lead the charge of give us Barabbas, release a real criminal, and place Jesus on the cross in his place. These people ultimately led the rejection of Jesus. And so today's sermon is simply entitled, Why People Reject. Can we pray together and jump right in? Heavenly Father, speak through your word. God, as these religious leaders of the day, God had issues and problems and struggles with Jesus. 
I pray that we learn from this. Holy Spirit, illuminate the things in Scripture that we do not understand and speak through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want us to see today why people reject. And, and for context and for application this morning, I do want to apply this directly today as why people reject Jesus. I don't know if you're like me and sometimes you have conversations with folks that are unbelievers and you maybe get done talking about Jesus or you, have, you listen to them talk about how they don't believe in Jesus and you kind of leave like, man, like, how did they get there? Anybody, anybody else kind of got to that point? Like, how did they get to the point where they just pushed away? I, I've got um, a, a friend of mine who lives on the other side of the country, so none, none of you would know them, but a friend of mine who has just, uh, just recently said that he's no longer a believer. And, um, and, and, that, and there's actually two different people, two different friends of mine. And I, I try to come to grips with that. I, 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 I try to have conversations to say, hey, how did this, how did this take place? Why do people reject? Why do people hear the good news? Man, the good news that Jesus paid it all. And why do they say, no thanks? Right? Maybe it's because of the next line of the song. All to him I owe. I'm not sure. But let's look at what the text says today. Now, I will say this, and I'll say it again at the end so that we remember this. This is not an exhaustive list of the reasons why people reject. This is, in this text, what we see. There are scores of reasons why people reject Jesus. Uh, some of them are more clear-cut. Others of them, by the experience that the person has had, it's a little bit nuanced and different. So I'm not today trying to say, to lay out the specifics of everyone's rejection of Jesus. But I do want us to look in the text today and see what led to this ultimate rejection of Jesus which will ultimately lead to him being crucified on the cross. I want us to see first that they deny the authority of Jesus. They deny the authority of Jesus. Verse 27, back in our text, Then they came again to Jerusalem. As he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, scribes, and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? These religious leaders... These rulers of the church, can I say, these who had authority themselves in the church, these rulers go immediately for the head. They go for the kill shot in their questioning of Jesus. And they question, who do you think you are? By what authority do you think you can walk into our temple and you can turn over our tables and you can kick out our businesses? Who gave you that authority? And as we can imagine, religious leaders back in those days, they had some very high authority. Uh, some of these men were chief priests. These were men that people would come and they would literally confess their sin to and these priests would intercede on behalf of the people to God. And These people held some very, very tight authority within this church and within the, religious, uh, the, the, the religiosity and the religious system of the day. By the way, this wasn't the first time that the authority of Jesus has been brought up. 
in Mark, in our, in our, in the book of Mark, actually, Mark chapter one and verse twenty-two, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Wow! And that did you, did you hear that last part? Not as the scribes, not as one that would just write things down. No, he taught as someone who had authority. So it was not only uh, giving Jesus the position of authority, but it was kind of degrading the position of the scribe. In Mark chapter 1, just a few verses later, in verse 27, then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? By the way, I'm glad it was some new doctrine. It went from law to grace, and it was incredible. But it says, for with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And there are other, spa- other places here in the book of Mark that I won't go to where the authority of Jesus is either questioned or it's noticed or it's an issue. And he taught with authority. Jesus uh, healed people with authority. He lived his life with authority that only could come from the divine creator of the universe, his Father, Almighty God. And these religious leaders, in this case, the, what we believe was men of the Sanhedrin, came in an attempt to undermine and question and discredit and cause others to discredit and ultimately to reject the authority of Jesus. But may I say this morning that Jesus possesses unique authority it's divine authority it's authority not like you as a parent have over your kids and sometimes i question if i really have authority over my kids by the way they act act crazy no this is unique authority authority given to him by yahweh the god of the universe the i am i love how the great commission begins In Matthew chapter 28, in verse 18, Jesus came and he spoke to them. Before we hear the Great Commission, do you know what we hear? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That was obviously after what we're talking about here in Mark chapter chapter 11. Jesus makes it very clear. All authority has been given. I love that, by the way. Side note to the sermon. I love that before Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them, before he tells us to do any of that, you know what he reminds us of? All authority, all power is given, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Hey, listen, when we are are, are presenting the Great Commission, when we are living out the Great Commission, when we are, are bringing people to Jesus, we have to understand that the authority and power is not given to us, but the authority and power rest on God and God alone, through His Son, Jesus. But Jesus was given His deserved authority. And understanding the authority of Jesus is key in understanding the Gospel. You see, if we will not come under the authority of Jesus, then we cannot fully understand the Gospel. For it is only when you give up yourself to throw in the towel of yourself that Christ will take the seat of authority in your life. Who is in charge of the life of a believer? And may I say that the believer is not in charge of the life of the believer. But the life of a true believer 
God the Holy Spirit is in charge. God, through His Son Jesus, giving us His Spirit, the Trinity, He is in full authority and in full charge of the life of a true believer. So then it is no longer what you want or what you desire in your flesh, but it is what Jesus desires for you. It is what Jesus has for you. Why? Because He is not my co-pilot. No, He is the pilot. And I'm just baggage, man. I'm in the trunk. I'm just along for the ride. I don't even have an opinion. Wake me up when we get there. Never mind, I was going to have a song reference. It's not September. Anyway, I haven't had a good song reference in a few weeks. It's about time for one. But the fact is this, look to Jesus. Submit to his authority. Give over the control to him. And just watch what he does in his perfect divine authority. And why do people reject? Because we all kind of had this innate rejection of authority built into our lives. We got parents of toddlers here today. Just tell them don't and watch them do. Hey, listen, I'm not even a toddler. I'm a 39-year-old toddler. And if, if we had something sitting here, if Tim said there was an issue with this keyboard right here, and he had a sign on it that said, do not touch unless you're Carla, I'd be like, I'm not Carla. But I just, I have to do it. I have to do it. Right? We have that. And you know why? Because deep down inside, and it's funny, until it's real, we don't like authority in our lives. We, br- we bristle against it. As adults, it gets worse. Let's, who are we kidding? It gets worse as adults. I'm a grown man. Can't tell me what to do. Why do people reject? Hey, listen, we don't like coming under the authority. We don't like coming under the authority. And these religious leaders didn't like coming under the authority. Secondly, this morning, why do people reject? And this is not an exhaustive list. This is simply what the text is reading to us today. The second reason why people reject is they deny the account of believers. Okay, they, they deny the accounts of believers. Now this one's a little bit, stay with me, okay? Uh, look at verse 29 in Mark chapter 11. But Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you one question. By the way, Jesus often, when he was getting back into a corner, he often replied with a question. Okay? If you would like to win an argument with your spouse, when they ask you a question, they're backing you into a corner with a question, respond with a question. That's just the way you do it. Be like Jesus. Anyway, um, but he responds to the question. And this question is like next level. We've seen this before. This is not uncommon with Jesus. But he asks them a question that puts them in an impossible scenario. Let's look at what he says. I will ask you one question, then answer me, and I will, I will then tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, he says. Was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. And what he was saying there really was, was John the Baptist legitimately who he said he was or was he crazy and they reasoned among themselves saying if we say that he's from heaven if we say that john the baptist's ministry was legitimate then jesus is going to say why then did you not believe him 
what did John the Baptist come to do? To proclaim Jesus, right? There's one coming after me. I'm just a voice. So if we say that it's from heaven, then we are giving credence to Jesus. We're not going to do that. But if we say, verse 32, from men, the, they feared the people. For the people, the common, the common folks, those in the, the, the temple family, they counted John to have been a prophet indeed. The religious leaders and elders came after and questioned Jesus' authority, and, and he responds with this question, was John the Baptist's ministry a true, legitimate ministry? I think of it this way, this was important because... John the Baptist, like Jesus, was an an unconventional voice in that day. John the Baptist came from the woods. If we saw him today, he might be in need of a shower. He skipped all the religious traditions, all the authority of the temple. You don't see that. John was in the wilderness. John was out there among the common people. And the common people had embraced John the Baptist. Verse 32 told us that they embraced him as a true prophet. The people believed him. So John's ministry was believed to be of God. And the people confirmed that by their love of John the Baptist and his ministry. So here's the predicament. If we say that John's ministry was legitimate, we are saying that Jesus Christ is Lord. That this man who was in here last yesterday turning over the, the, the tables and kicking people out of here, and the guy that's been like, doing these crazy miracles over here, and has been, but he's been also saying these things that are like, not, he's not supposed to say. He's not been crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's like the law says. We're saying that he's the Son of God? Oh, but if we say that he wasn't legitimate, all the people, and catch this, all the people that we've been making money off of, All the people that have been patting our pockets every Passover, there's a lot of peas. All the people that we've been taking their money and giving them Jewish money and skimming off the top. All the people we've been charging 15 times for that lamb. They're going to be mad. No, we can't make them mad. And so they're in a predicament. They would either validate Jesus by acknowledging the legitimacy of John the Baptist, or they would mess up their little racketeering scheme by making all the people mad. But what were the religious leaders really doing here? This genius question that Jesus asked, why was this so difficult for them? What was really taking place? What they wound up doing is they wound up denying the validity of Jesus' ministry on the account of one of his followers, John the Baptist. John said, John displayed, John believed, and we're not going to stand with John. Now try to apply that and think about how uh, how that fits in today's context and how we can take something from this As we look around us, there are so many people who give testimony of Jesus and the salvation that he brings. In fact, if I were 
to open it up today and say, hey, would you share with me your salvation story? All right, after Randall stopped, stood up to share his, then other people would stand up and share theirs, right? That's the way it would work, Randall. You'd be my first guy. I would ask Randall, tell me your story, man. And then some other people would pop up. And you know what? Even in the testimony of I once was blind, but now I see. I once lived in darkness, now I'm living in the light. I once was on my way to hell, now I'm on my way to heaven. I once lived for this world and for all the cares of this world, and I'm now living for Jesus. Even on all those accounts and on all those, uh, those testimonies for Jesus, there would be some that would sit in this room that would be unbelievers that would say, okay, it means nothing to me. Hey, I'm glad that you found what you think is going to make you happy. Hey, I'm glad that it's working out for you. Hey, look, man, whatever you need to do to get through the day. We see people, even though there's testimonies of lives changed, even though there's testimonies, even though people who are not believers see the change in your life, they still reject. They still push away. They still don't come to the same faith in Jesus that you have. And I'm not here today to throw stones. I'm here to simply say that it doesn't matter sometimes how many people, how many other people Jesus has changed their lives. There are some people who are just going to reject him no matter what. I can see miracles take place in this person's life. I can see the person that they used to be uh, three or four years ago and the person that they are today. I can see the life change. I can see all the fruit of the Spirit being displayed in their life and they still reject by the way there are stories all over this church of jesus changing lives and making a difference in lives and by the way we ought to figure out ways to share them we ought to figure out ways to incorporate them into our everyday talk because while there are many people who will reject there are also other people who will say something like hey i don't know what it is that you got but i'd like to find out more Hey, I'm not so sure what's changed in your life, but can you tell me a little bit more? For the context of today's sermon, though, we have seen two reasons why these religious leaders rejected. Okay, We have seen that they, de they denied the authority of Jesus. We've seen that they did not believe uh, the account of other believers. And then thirdly, I want us to see, and lastly this morning... They fear the opinion of others. Oh, they fear the opinion of others. And we've kind of touched on this. Stick with me back in verse 32 in our text. But if we say from men, they feared the people. Okay, they feared the people. For all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. So they answered and said to Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. By the way, it was not but a few weeks later that Matthew 28 hits, and he says, all power is given to me. Okay, He goes from, I'm not going to tell you, to I'm about to tell you. But these religious leaders and elders were so concerned with what the people thought of them that they refused to even answer the question. 
All they could muster up to speak was, we don't know. We don't know. They didn't want the, uh, the others in this case. They didn't want the people, the common people, upset. As I mentioned, their livelihoods were determined by how much money these people would bring into the temple. Their livelihoods were definitely, uh, uh, the Passover week was the big week. This is the week when all the men were required to come to Jerusalem. This was like, this was like big money week. This was like, you know, if you were the IRS, this was like April 15th week. This is when you're getting all your money. And they don't want to mess this week up. Damage control was already set in from what Jesus did yesterday. These religious leaders really did care. They cared about the wrong thing. They cared about what the opinions of others were. How sad that these leaders of the Sanhedrin would not follow Jesus or even answer his questions simply that because they were afraid of what others would think. I do know that the sin of pride often hinders one from taking a step of faith to Jesus. As odd as this may seem, I'm sure there are people who say, I don't know what people are going to think. I have no idea what people are going to say Why do people reject? Man, you know, the older we get, we, we kind of lose a little bit more of that, like we don't care as much. But especially I think of the younger. I think of our students who are traveling back from a retreat, a retreat right now. I think about these kids. I think about the young adults in this room that are still in kind of those formidable years of, of life. And I think some of those who have rejected Jesus and rejected Jesus and rejected Jesus and have lived a life of sin and lived a life of sin and lived a life of sin and that snowball's gotten bigger and that snowball's gotten bigger and bigger and now that's almost like, I'm not really sure about all this. That's why there's faith involved. And I have no idea what people are going to think. So I'm not doing it. I don't know what I'm going to tell my buddies that I grew up with. I don't know what my fill in the blank relative or friend is going to think can I get real close down here where we're at I don't have all the answers so when they ask me I don't know what I'm going to tell them our pride is showing a whole lot I'm not going to take a step of faith in Jesus because if my boss who I always joke around with and I have, I've lived kind of my sin life with my boss and my boss asks me what's going on and I try to tell him and I don't really know exactly what to say and so then it's awkward and I don't want to put myself in that situation. So I'm going to back off. Why do people reject? Why maybe if you're sitting in this room here today have you rejected up until this point in your life? You say, but I've been going to church since I was born. I don't care. I rejected for 19 years. Why do people reject? Why maybe do you reject this morning? Denying Jesus' authority. Not wanting to... Song reference. Not wanting to take your hands off the wheel. And let Jesus take it. 
not being willing to be in the back seat and not a backseat driver, go all the way back to the trunk and say, the authority that I have in my life is Jesus's. Do you find yourself rejecting because, hey, I, I know God did something for that guy back there and that lady over there and this guy. I don't believe it. I'm not going to do it in my life. That guy's a fake, man. He ain't perfect. Why do we reject? And what are other people going to think? What are other people going to say? What if I take a step of faith in Jesus and I make it public and then I don't know everything? Well, welcome to the club. Welcome to the We Don't Know Everything Club. If you're here today and this thing of Jesus, this, uh, this man who you've heard the name of, this man who maybe you know some things about, he wants to be the authority in your life. He wants to be your Lord and your Savior. And I ask you today, Maybe your reasons for rejecting Jesus were not in this text. There are other reasons. But I ask you today, if you have rejected, may today be the day that you accept, that you surrender, and that you give Jesus his proper spot in your life. And you know what that proper spot is? Authority. Authority. And then for those of us in our church family, those of you that would be followers of Jesus, may today be a day of, uh, of encouragement from this text in the fact that the same old answers, right? The same old reasons why people don't believe. And this is all the way back. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden we can talk about these things. But at the end of the day, as we are interacting with people, just realize this. Those, of, those that are unbelievers, they oftentimes have a hurdle that they have to get over. And I don't know what that hurdle is. And oftentimes you may not know what that hurdle is. But there is a hurdle. And we need to be sensitive to those hurdles. I, I, I say this about people coming to our church. Especially from this community. It's like a five mile walk. From that side of the road. To this side of the road. You understand what I mean by that? It's only 50 feet. But there's a five-mile walk for some people. There's some hurdles. And in coming to faith in Christ, there are hurdles. The, the rich young ruler, what was his hurdle? Or the rich man, what was his hurdle? He wouldn't sell all and give to the poor. We all have hurdles that we must step over to come to Jesus. And so I want to encourage us as we are interacting with people to let's try to identify what those hurdles are in people's lives. Why are people rejecting? Hey, why does your cousin, why is your cousin not a believer? And here's the thing, in love, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, let's, inter let's interact. Let's talk it through. Let's be the person that says, hey, if you ever need to talk, I'm here. 
I'll share this without sharing any names. I had somebody this week text me a screenshot and say, hey, this is a friend of mine. And it was a statement that was made, I think it was through social media, basically of their unbelief. If God is, then why? And this person said, how should I respond to this? You know what my answer was? Hey, I can see you're struggling. If you ever need me, I'm right here. It's identifying a hurdle and saying, I'm here for you. I'm not the answer. I'm not Jesus. But I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Why do people reject? And here's the thing I wish people wouldn't reject. But why do they reject? They do. We learned about it today. If, if one of these three rejection reasons happen to be a rejection reason in your life, my, may I invite you today to reject your rejection and accept Jesus. And then for those of us that interact with people throughout the week and in our lives and our communities and our families who are not believers, may we be sensitive to the rejections of others and may we help people find their way to Jesus. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.